Hey friends, have you ever been surprised by silence? Not annoyed or frustrated, but surprised. Have you ever expected for something to happen? You've been perhaps looking forward to it, but when the time came, nothing happened. Only silence. Experiencing silence when you expect something positive to happen and it doesn't happen, experiencing silence at that time can lead to frustration. If you expect something bad to happen and all you see is nothing but silence, it actually is a positive surprise moment. And this is one of the effects that we see in the book of Revelation as the seals are unopened and the unfolding of God's judgment uh, continue to reveal. This moment, this morning, I encourage you to open the book of Revelation to chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, uh, verse 1 to the end of the chapter, verse 13. If you are new to us this morning, uh, we are so glad you're here. We are working our way through the book of Revelation and we encourage you to find one of the Bibles provided in the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take home the Pew Bible. It's yours to read and to enjoy it. Uh, but this morning, we are opening this book, the Bible, to Revelation chapter 8. And in the Pew Bibles, this is found on page number 1032. Here is God's word for us this morning. When the Lamb opened the seal, the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven. For about half an hour, then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice 
as it flew directly overhead. Whoa, whoa, whoa to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, you reveal your judgments to us as a means of awakening us, as a means of calling our attention to you, as a means of enabling, enabling us to recognize that, oh Lord, all creation is yours and you can do with it as you please. Father, we pray that as we hear your word from this passage we have just read, that you would enable us to understand. We pray that you speak to our hearts in a way that draws our hearts to you. We pray all this for the glory of Christ and through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. How are we to interpret the judgments of Revelation? Uh, We mentioned as we began working through this book that the book of Revelation includes 21 judgments that are organized or um, presented in three cycles of sevens. And uh, this morning we are arriving at the end of the first cycle of sevens. And we are introduced to the, uh, to the half or the first part of the second cycle of sevens. How are we to understand these judgments of Revelation? This is not an easy question. Uh, Bible interpreters answer this question differently. I have presented or shared with you my conviction, my view that I think these 21 sub- judgments uh, in the book of Revelation are not a linear uh, set of judgments, but that these cycles, once we get to the first seven, start again all over. Not that we have three times each of these judgments, but they are presented for us three times. And and we're going to see this feature particularly in this chapter, in chapter 8. Now, to help us understand and make sense of, of this chapter, it's important to just briefly remind us of how it all started in chapter 6 these judgments of God. In chapter 6, we saw what happened when the Lamb uh, began opening the first seals of the scroll that the Lamb took from the hand of God. The opening of the first four seals of the scroll that the Lamb took from the hand of God, uh, the opening of these four seals brought four plagues upon the earth. Uh, The lack of peace, which leads to conflict and wars, and we saw the, the famine and death. These plagues are not new. They appeared before in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, when God judged his people, uh, Israel, for their idolatries. And the same pattern is now used in the book of Revelation as the Lamb opens the first four seals and four horsemen are brought and are called to bring these judgments upon the earth. And when we considered those four judgments from chapter 6, when we consider them together, we notice that really there is nothing new or unique about them uh, from, um, from how they, they have been introduced earlier in the Old Testament. The only difference is, instead of the Old Testament, when they were called upon just to a limited 
place, a limited location like the city of Jerusalem or the land of Israel, uh, the, the four horsemen bring these judgments upon a quarter of the earth. Seeing conquerors, seeing lack of peace among people, seeing famine and death due to plagues or disasters, it's nothing new. These are sort of natural experiences that we have been exposed to already. In my view, I think these four judgments that we saw with the first four seals are happening throughout the history of the church. As the Lamb opens the seals of the scroll, the vision of these four horsemen, prepare God's people to understand the following. That even though Christ died on the cross, even though He was resurrected on the third day, even though He was exalted to the right hand of the Father and promised to come again to the earth, still, God's people need to be reminded and to know that the world we live in is not where we should plan for our security and peace. This is the effect of the vision of the first four horsemen uh, that we should be uh, reminded of. That this world is not a secure place for us. It's not the place where we should plan to, to retire for eternity, if you will. The fifth seal shows a vision quite different than the first four seals, the four horsemen. The fifth seal shows a vision of, of souls that John saw, the souls of believers who have been killed because of the word of God and the testimony that they had. They asked God how long it will be until God will avenge their blood upon the people of the earth. And God told them to wait a bit longer. Then the sixth seal shows a vision of cataclysmic judgments when the entire creation, not just one-fourth, the entire creation will be undone when Christ will come in His second coming with wrath to the earth. The sixth seal tells us what happens when Christ returns on His second time to earth. In that time, the judgment of God against creation will be so big that all the people of the earth, even the, those in the highest places of society, uh, will not be able to escape or face the wrath of the Lamb. So they ask, who can stand? And we saw that chapter 7 answers that question. The answer to the question, who can stand the wrath of the Lamb when, when the ram co- Lamb comes for the second time to the earth? The answer is the people of God. They can stand because God will seal them. And even though they pass through the great tribulation, they will appear standing before God's throne and have God's protection. And they will have God's provision for all eternity. Chapter 7 gives believers great assurance and confidence that all those who belong to God, all those who have the seal of God on their foreheads, can face the end times with confidence. And now we get to chapter 8. Chapter 8 picks up the story of, the, of opening the seals, the seals of the scroll that the Lamb took from the hand of God. If the sixth seal, which we saw at the end of chapter 6, revealed to us the fatal destruction of the whole earth that will take place at the second coming of Christ, and the inability of earth dwellers to face it, what happens when the seventh seal is opened? We might expect for the story of Revelation to be over. 
After all, what further destruction can happen when the sky is already rolled up as a scroll? What else is left to be destroyed on the earth? All that would be left is for Christ to bring his new creation. That's what we would expect. But this is not what we get in the seventh seal. The seventh seal takes us to the end, but it also takes us back to the beginning. Because the seventh seal John sees is a time when a new vision, a new cycle of sevens appears. Seven angels with seven trumpets. Now today we will only cover the opening of the seventh seal and the first four of the seven trumpets. What happens when the seventh seal is opened? The answer is, there's silence in heaven. So this morning, we're going to look at the silence and the trumpets. This is the theme of chapter 8 and the theme of, our morning, of, of the sermon this morning. If you like taking notes, we will have two major points. Uh, the first major point will be the silence in heaven. The second major point will be the first four trumpets. Let's look at each of these major points as we see the, the, the transition between the, the scrolls and the trumpets, the, the seals of the scroll and the trumpets. The silence in heaven. Did you notice what is the first reaction of heaven when the Lamb opens the seventh seal? Look at verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I want you to think about this experience. Up until this moment in heaven, there's been singing. There's been praising. There's been prayers. But now what we see and hear is that it's silence. Now the fact that the silence lasts for about half an hour tells us that it's not just a quick silence, but an an intentional and prolonged moment, experience. Now we live in a society that feels awkward about silence, don't we? We feel that we need to fill our time with noise. Just try this experiment this week. When you drive home from your commute, from work, try to do it just one time without having your radio on or your podcast on or your phone on. Just try to drive for about half an hour without having anything on around you. Or if you don't drive, just do the walking or the, whatever you do. Do it without any noise. See how, how different it is. And come, come and tell me afterwards what it was like. I'd love to hear from you. We, we feel uncomfortable with silence, don't we? But friends, in God's presence, silence is, is not wasted time. It is not pointless and meaningless time. I remember years ago, we introduced in our worship service moments of silence. And I remember how awkward our congregation felt for about six months. I 
you're feeling awkward right now. And I just counted to 20. Imagine if we had waited 30 minutes. Imagine if you came to church and there was a built-in time of about 30 minutes of silence. Would you go back to that church? Would you feel like they are not managing the time well? There'd be so many better things to do in 30 minutes to fill your calendar. And you feel like your, your time and your calendar is way more precious than just sitting and doing nothing. Just being in silence with others around you. You would really feel that that church is not know, does not know how to manage their time, their worship time, or, and your time well. Right? Now think about it this way. All of heaven experienced a silence of about a half an hour. Friends, in the presence of God, silence is not wasted time. It's not like that thing that you can do something better with it. Would you feel that silence is a waste of time? Would you feel distracted by, by the plans you have for the day and your mind goes off to think about what you have and, hey, can we, can we get on with this? Can we, can we get on and finish this so I can get and do my stuff? Friends, the silence of heaven here speaks volumes to us who feel like the only way to worship God is to have some sort of noise or activity. For a society that takes worthiness from what we can do or produce, friends, one way we can prepare ourselves to worship God is by quieting ourselves in God's presence and not despise the experience of silence, not despise the experience of doing nothing, but gaze our attention on the Lord. When you come in God's presence, don't think of silence as an inefficient time. In heaven, this silence is purposeful. Elsewhere in the Bible, we see that God commands all the earth to be silent before Him. All the earth. We saw that in Habakkuk chapter 2 earlier in our service. But what does the silence of heaven tell us? What does the silence of heaven teach us? Let's go on and see what's going on during the silence uh, in heaven. The silence of heaven presents two things for us. The silence of heaven tells us that there's more judgments to come. It's that experience when you feel like, all right, we we got to the end, the the judgments of the sixth seal, we're the whole earth is wrapped up. The sky is wrapped up like a scroll. We're here at the very end. And, and what we get instead is silence. But the silence is a way to get our attention and say, what's next? What will happen now? And, the, and John gets a vision, a vision of seven angels. Look at verse 2. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. In other words, at the seventh seal, which brings a silence of heaven, it also 
reveals to us this moment of time out in heaven. As we have been brought by the sixth seal to the second coming of Christ, the seventh seal says, time out, wait, stop, silence. The presentation of God's judgments is not over yet. We need to go over these again. But now we need to give more details of the judgments that lead to the same end that the sixth seal has brought us to. The judgments of the seven trumpets are not a linear follow-up in time to the judgments of the seven seals. The seven judgments of the trumpets begin describing the same judgments, but now with greater focus and with greater detail. Uh, Students, imagine this. Imagine you're in class listening to a lecture, and at the end of the lecture, the professor says, next week, I will give you another lecture on the same subject. We will go back to the beginning and go through this again, but with greater detail and with more focus. It's the same topic, but not the same lecture. We will get to the same end point, but with a new perspective. That's what's going on here as we begin a second cycle of judgments. The silence in heaven is a timeout that reveals that there's more intermediary judgments between the first four seals and the sixth seal that introduces us to the second coming of Christ. These intermediary judgments will be revealed through this vision of the seven trumpets. Yet at this point in Revelation 8-2, the trumpets are not blown. All we, all we get is a picture of them. Remember, we are still in the moment of silence. The silence of heaven is going on. What else is happening during the this, during this silence of heaven? Well, there's a second thing that happens. The second thing during the silence of heaven is in verses 3 and 4. The silence of heaven is the space, the time, when the prayers of the saints are lifted up to God's throne. Look at verses 3 and 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, remember, this is, these are visions. Don't think of these. At what time in the calendar do these prayers get to be raised up? This is a vision. The silence of heaven is a time when God sees an angel receive a great amount of incense, and he's burning it, just like in the Old Testament. Uh, incense was burned at the time of offering prayers. He's burning it to accompany the prayers of the saints so that the smoke of the incense joins the prayers of God's people as both rise up to God's throne. Now, this means that the silence in heaven is for allowing the prayers of God's people to be heard. It's as if heaven's praises stop in order to allow the prayers of God's people to be lifted up to God. Now, we should not assume from this that God cannot hear our prayers unless heaven becomes quiet. That's not the point here. No, this is a symbolic vision that communicates how important the prayers of God's people are. 
they are so important that symbolically it's like all heaven stops, quiets down. Friends, this should encourage us in our praying. When we see so much brokenness around us, when we see so much injustice, when we see so much evil, when we see so much oppression, when we see so much abuse outside the church and inside the church, God's people are called to pray. Pray that God would bring it to an end. Pray in confidence that God hears our prayers. Friends, one of the reasons why we have started an evening prayer service a few years ago in the life of our congregation is because as a church, we desire to have a a rhythm, a regular rhythm in our corporate experience, in our corporate gathering as a church on Sundays when we gather specifically to focus on prayer. And we pray to show our dependence as a congregation. And we do that every Sunday night at 5.30. We encourage you, if you're not in the if you have not planned to come to attend our evening services, we encourage you to consider to attend our evening service. As a matter of fact, starting with today, we have even included in our bulletin, if you look to our bulletin, we have even included after the morning service notes on page 12, there's an evening prayer service page where you can take notes of the prayers that are being asked for so you can keep praying for them throughout the week. You can also take notes of what's being taught on Sunday nights. We encourage you to come back on Sunday nights And bring this bulletin with you because we have pages that now help you think through so that what we pray on Sunday night is something you can be reminded of throughout the week and pray for. Why do we do that? Because we want to be a people who pray, not just individually, separately when we're scattered, but also when we're gathered. Because prayer is so important to God. Prayer is so important to to the whole experience of heaven. But there's another important symbolic act that takes place during the silence of heaven. After the prayers of God's people are raised up to God's throne, we notice in verse 5, then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. Now this is a strange action. And say, wait a minute, what? all the, the incense, the prayer, and once the prayers are done, the angel is taking burning coals and fire from the altar of God, puts it on the censer and just throws it to the earth? What does that mean? Well, if we are familiar with the Old Testament, this action should not surprise us. By the way, one of the best ways to help you interpret the book of Revelation is to get really familiar with the Old Testament. A similar act took place in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 2, where God commands one of his angels to take burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city of Jerusalem. What that act symbolized was that God's judgment over the city of Jerusalem was imminent. The same symbolic action is now used in Revelation chapter 8, where the angel filled his censer with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. It's important to notice when the angel does this. He does it after the prayers of the saints are lifted up to God's throne. Now, this is significant. The sequence of this is helpful because it shows us that God's judgments are coming upon the earth after the prayers of God's people have been lifted up to heaven. God does it 
in response to the prayers of his people. I love how one Bible interpreter said it. At the climax of of history, heaven is silent so that the prayers of the saints can be heard and the final judgment occurs in response to them. The silence of heaven, dear friends, shows us that God's judgments happen only after the prayers of God's people have been heard. It shows us that God's judgments are executed in response to the prayers of God's people. And the seventh seal closes with a picture of peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is what we get in, chapter, in verse 5. And this picture is repeated again at the seventh trumpet when Christ returns, and it's repeated again at the seventh bowl, which also refers to the second coming of Christ. The picture of peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning represents a manifestation of God's presence. This is what we saw in in Revelation 4 when John saw the throne room of God and saw these same experiences, thunder, rumblings, flashing of lightning. But if we remember the book of Exodus, the story of God's people in the Old Testament, this is exactly how God manifested His presence when He came down to Mount Sinai. In other words, when God descended among His people on Mount Sinai to dwell in the midst of His people, This is how it manifested. In the book of Revelation, the coming of God to earth happens through the second coming of Christ. And the same image effects will be or or are associated with the second coming of Christ. Peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. So the opening of the seventh seal takes us to the second coming of Christ. But it does not close up the story of God's judgments. Instead, it says, stop, there's silence of heaven. i got to tell you more about what's coming. Let's start with the beginning. And this brings us to the seven trumpets. So what does the silence of heaven teach us or teaches us? It teaches us that greater attentiveness to God's judgments is needed. The silence in heaven also introduces us to the seven trumpets But before the trumpets are blown, it tells us, wait, all this is happening because the prayers of God's people have been lifted up to God's throne. The way to understand the judgments of God is to understand them as response to the prayers of God's people. Once the silence of heaven is passed, we start the lesson again with the seven trumpets. So, Let's look at the four trumpets. We're not going to look at all seven of them. We're just going to look at four of them this morning. The first four trumpets. The lesson starts again. This time with more details, more focus. Now, what's the significance of blowing trumpets and blowing seven trumpets? It's significant that God's second coming is associated with judgments that are described through blowing seven trumpets. It's significant. You might say, why? Because the only other time in the entire Bible where we see seven trumpets, trumpets blown seven times, is in the conquest of Jericho. The trumpets were 
blown by the priests who went ahead of the army as a means of announcing the coming destruction of Jericho. What we have in the book of Revelation is that God uses that same pattern that he introduced and used for the destruction of Jericho. But this time, God is using that pattern to announce a destruction, not merely of one city like Jericho, but to announce a coming destruction of the whole world. As we look at the trumpet judgments, one thing becomes clear. The judgments of the four trumpets increase in impact from the previous plagues that we saw with the four horsemen. Remember how the four horsemen affected only one-fourth of the earth? Well, the four trumpets are getting a wider spread. The first plagues of the first four horsemen were only one-fourth of the earth. The four trumpet judgments affect a third of the earth. Also, if the four horsemen brought plagues that were quite familiar with us, lack of peace, conflict, wars, pestilences, death, these are normal, natural means that we have been aware of, the judgments of the trumpets intensify in the description that, that it's used for them. So they are increasing in intensity. Also, the first four trumpets are grouped together in a separate category. They're the shortest of the seven trumpets. And also, they are affecting the earth, the sea, the rivers and springs of water, and the elements in the sky, the four parts of of our earthly existence. Let's consider what these judgments mean briefly. Look at each of these. The first trumpet in verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burnt up, and a third of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Now, did you pick up on the hail? Remember when God threw hail upon the earth before? It was in the Old Testament when God threw hail upon the land of Egypt. But here, there's a mixture. It's not just hail. It's hail mixed with fire. Now, naturally, you may not think that hail and fire work together. But this is a, this is a vision. Things that no, naturally we would not think about putting together, as we've seen in the book of Revelation already, is being brought back here. Hail mixed with fire and blood are thrown upon the earth. And it affects the, it affects the supply of, of trees and grass. Look at the second trumpet. We're supposed to read all these together, and then we're going to make some comments. The second trumpet, verses 8 and 9. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Again, do you hear any resemblances in this plague, in this judgment? Yes. When Moses was sent to Pharaoh... And brought judgment upon Egypt. The waters of Egypt were turned into blood. And no one could drink them. And the creatures of the waters all died. But in Revelation, it's not just the creatures of the sea that die, that are affected. But even the ships. That tells us that commerce, the trade industry, will be affected. We'll see this trade industry being significantly affected in Revelation 17 and 18. 
Then the third trumpet. There's something about the third trumpet. This is, this is a little more interesting. Verses 10 and 11. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, the fact that there's a star with a name and that its name is Wormwood is significant. Wormwood refers to a herb that was known for its bitterness. It was so bitter that it was also associated with poison. Now, the judgment of bitter food and poisonous water is not new in Revelation. It's not for the first time showing up in Revelation. Listen to how God brought bitter food and poisonous water to the people of Israel in the Old Testament times. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 13 to 15, here's what it says. And the Lord says, because they, speaking about God's people, Israel, at that time, because they have forsaken my law that I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it, but have stubbornly followed their own hearts, and have gone after the Baals, as their fathers taught them, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed this people with bitter food and give them poisonous water to drink. Did you hear that? Jeremiah 23, 15 is another passage. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. In other words, God has already acted in a similar pattern in the Old Testament when God judged his people Israel because they did not obey the voice of God, but instead followed their own hearts. God gave them bitter food and poisonous water. And the third trumpet judgment has the same pattern, but now at a greater scale. God acts this way because the people of the earth have turned their backs on God. They have despised God's word and worshipped their man-made idols. Friends, ask yourself, does this describe any of us this morning? Does this describe you? The fourth trumpet. Look at verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and then likewise, a third of the night. If the first three trumpet judgments affected the earth, the fourth trumpet judgment affects the elements in the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the light, and darkness. Now these, at this point, are affecting a third of the earth. If you remember, when we were going through chapter 6, the sixth seal, it presented that these elements were also fully affected. Now, are these now with the seven trumpets, are these affected again? It's not so much that it's affected again. Rather, in, in the sixth seal, they were all affected, entirely. Here, this is a, one evidence that we are seeing a, a recycling, a presentation of these judgments. It goes back, but now we don't see yet the wholeness we don't see the fullness of the earth being affected. It's only one-third. 
we're going to see these same elements again in the seven bowls. The same things are going to happen, but at that time, they'll be affected in entirety. Here, they're only affecting one-third. What this means, there's still two-thirds of the earth that are not affected. This shows that the judgments of God are taking increasing but limited measures, moving us towards the end. If we summarize the judgments of the four trumpets, we see how the various parts of our daily living experiences are being affected in very similar ways that God affected the Egyptians in the, in the, in the nine plagues that happened before the final plague. God is affecting the supply chain. God is affecting those, the sources that provide for their livelihood. Things are being cut short, not in entirety, but in significant ways so that people can awaken and realize God is working here. God is trying to awaken our conscience. God is warning us that the things we depend on for our earthly existence will be significantly affected. Our food, our water, our supplies, our industries, even those things that are out of our control, such as the sun, the moon, the stars, the light, the darkness. All of these are under God's control, and God has the ability to, to affect them, to change them, so that he awakens us to the reality that there is no other God but the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. There's no other God than the God who is sending his Son as the Lamb who will come to earth. He has come once. He will come a second time. Friends, don't take these experiences that we have here on earth for granted. If things are going well for you, don't treat this with a sense of entitlement. God can take any of it from, from us. God can take any of the supplies of the earth away from the earth. He has the right to do so because the entire earth belongs to Him. So don't take it lightly. Don't take it with an entitlement. But also, if there's anyone among us here this morning that feels confident that you can live life apart from God, I want to ask you, what gives you that confidence? Is it the impression that this world seems to be running fine without God? That's, what, that's the message we get from our society. This world seems to be running fine without God. It's the impression that perhaps that you feel like your life seems to be going just fine without God. If anything, if you started pursuing God, it might feel like you have to make some, some changes that you right now don't want to do. So you say, I don't think I need God right now. Is it the impression that you are able to get yourself all that you need to live well? Friends, the warnings that we get with these four trumpet judgments give us a warning. that We are, we are not in, con in control of everything that happens in this world, of the supply chain that happens in this world. And this should cause us to to pause, to silence ourselves, just like heaven has been silenced. And ask yourself, if these things are not dependent on me, but on a God who can shut off the valve of these supplies at any moment, then why would I not seek this God? Why would I try to live life as if I'm the one who opens the valve? As, as if I'm the one who makes things happen? Friends, if if we can enjoy God's supplies now, don't 
don't use them. Don't use that joy to ignore God. Thank God for providing it for you. But seek God above all things. Friends, if you, if you don't know Jesus, or if you have an idea of God and Jesus, but in a way that just keeps you distant, in a way that gives you the impression that you can delay, that you can keep living life in a way that pleases you, oh, friends, let these judgments, let these warnings, let these trumpet blows create in you the effect they should have created on Jericho. These are, these, are, these are trumpet judgments that are blown in order to awaken us to realize this dwelling that we have will be destroyed. God is giving us measured judgments to awaken us to realize that. I wonder if we are willing to, to hear well, to listen well. As you hear these judgments, I wonder if it causes you to recognize that all that we see in this creation belongs to God. All that is here is His. He has the right to take them away. Such judgments should, re- should help us realize how limited we are. We cannot affect the sun and the moon and the stars, but God can and He will. But if these judgments awaken in you a sense of, of fear, friends, run to God. Run to Jesus. Because those who come to Jesus, for them, for them, they will experience no more fear, just as the people of Israel in Egypt should have experienced no fear. Because the blood of the Passover lamb was going to protect them from the plagues that God brought on the Egyptians. But we have a better blood the blood of the true Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. It is as we run to Jesus, is as, as, as we seek Jesus, that we can look at these judgments that God reveals against the earth and we can stand in confidence that God would see us through them, that God would see us on the other side. Just as the people of Israel received the grace of the blood of the Passover lamb, we today have received the grace of the blood of the lamb of Christ. Because of him, the judgments of God, of God against us should not terrify us, but should give us a confidence that God will bring his plans to the end. And all those who belong to him have reasons to be confident in God. Would you pray with me?